I personally was in Whole Foods stores at 4 or 5 a.m. Um, helping the, the staff, you know, pack out product. And so what you can do is you kind of trade that for, for some favors. Hey, we're doing, you know, this work. Um, you know, how about considering giving us either additional or preferential uh, placement in your store? You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Sandro Rocco is the founder of Sanzo, which has been my go-to sparkling water of choice for two, three years. I love it so much. I wanted to invite Sandro into the studio not only because I am a big fan of his cans of lychee and calamansi spike bubbles, but honestly, I wanted to know how he runs his business, how he got it off the ground, how he bootstrapped this company in one of the most crowded categories in all of grocery, beverage. We also talk about how he was able to get Jeremy Lin, the former New York Nick, to appear on the Sanzo Can. It was so cool getting to know Sandro a bit better, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Sandro Rocco, welcome to Taste Podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. So amazing to be here today. Like, I have bought your product, Sanzo, about 75 times. And I think <laughs> I went today to go buy some calamansi just to prep for this interview and get kind of in the in the mode. But they were out of it. They were basically sold out of it. Ooh, we got to go back down there as soon as we're done recording this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I have a lot of questions about your brand. Um, you wouldn't be here if I didn't think it was dope. Like, I really like what you're doing with using natural products. You're making bottled or sparkling canned water um, interesting. You're using Southeast Asian, East Asian products. That's all very cool. What is Sanzo in your words? Yeah, I mean, Sanzo is the first Asian-inspired sparkling water made with real fruit plus no added sugar. And like, we almost like put a period just at, at that point because yeah. after that, then it gets into a whole world of storytelling, bridging cultures, um, exciting things like that. But as far as the product goes, honestly, the whole goal of it was to make that as simple as possible so that it required yeah. as little explanation so we could get into the world of storytelling, brand building, yeah. or for folks who just like and just who just enjoy simple products, just get right to it. Get right to it. And and like the storytelling element of what your brand, you know, you did a collaboration with Jeremy Lin. There's like a great story and we'll get to that story. But when it comes down to it, this this product Sanzo was inspired by you going to the grocery store and being disappointed. I'd love to hear you talk about this day when you ended up in a Koreatown grocery store. I think I know which one it is, but I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I'm happy to put it. I'm happy to put it there. Yeah, it was literally for folks who are, you know, in New York City or who have traveled here. Um, there's almost like, I guess, an iconic H Mart on 32nd Street between 5th and 6th, like yeah. in the heart of Koreatown. And I walked in there and the the big thing that I noticed was, I guess, was two main observations, one of which was, hey, on one shelf, there are all these amazing, nostalgic, uh, you know, uh, a, I'll say Asian uh, import brands um, that I drank a lot of in my yeah. childhood. What are those brands? Like, let's get into a few of those. So there's a blue can uh, that's a G, uh, the brand name is called Gina, and they sell a, yeah. ma a mango nectar. Yeah. That is Delicious. Fire. I, I know that one. It's good. Uh, there'd be like a Yo's chrysanthemum tea. Oh, yeah. Uh, also super delicious. Calpico. Yeah. What about uh, Pokari? Oh, Pokari Sweat, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and, and still in, in, in Japan, you go there and yeah. it, is, it, is, it is the sports, it is the hydration beverage. I.e. hangover beverage. I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> Pokari Sweat is dope. But you, there was something missing, though, you, your, your observations. Right. And so, you know, the, I think the biggest thing for me was while those beverages were delicious, 
ultimately the vast majority of them, unfortunately, if you turn over the the the, the ingredient panel, um, it's a lot of it's a lot of ingredients you can't pr- pronounce. Um, the nutrition side, whether it's calorie count, um, you know, sugar, um, it's just not as friendly if you're if you're looking for. Um, and 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 I think for my own you know perspective, I'm 35 now, and um, it just I I, had, I what I tell folks is I had learned too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I had learned a little bit too much about nutrition. I'm still not you know I'm not the fittest person in the world, but I learned at least enough to know um, that hey, you know, consuming calories in that way was just not you know something that I wanted to do. Yeah, on, especially on, in like the basis. drinks form. Like if you're gonna consume calories, maybe you wanted to do it in a different way. Absolutely, and not have a sugar loaded, artificial coloring loaded drink, even though. Effing delicious. Right. So good. But I think within that realm, though, the the other big revelation that I had was, hey, here are a lot of these fruits that, let's say, when I traveled to Asia and visited my, you know, visited family there, um, it would taste different from the beverages that I was consuming, um, Mm -hmm. you know, in in these stores. And a lot of it was because I felt like a lot of what I came to learn was, you know, you you mentioned calamansi. Um, you know, one of the most popular ways to serve calamansi in the Philippines is through what they, they call it calamansi juice, but it's basically like a lime or a lemonade. And the problem, and it's delicious, but yeah. the problem with it is, mm-hmm. it's at least for me, it's or why I can't consume it on a daily basis is it actually has more grams of sugar than a Coca Cola. Yeah. Um, and I just felt like, hey, like why are we continuing to mask the natural beauty of calamansi, of lychee, of Alfonso mango by adding all of this sugar? So when I started playing around, I mean, this is probably fast forwarding a bit, but mm-hmm. you know. When I started playing around with the drinks and getting pure, unadulterated, uh, you know, fruit juices and purees, my mind was blown because I just felt like, wow, there's a vibrancy, a vivacity um, in these natural juices and purees that I wasn't getting in the finished products. And so, um, you know, that was definitely one half of the journey. Um, and what I didn't mention was the other, you know, when I was at when I was in K Town and at the Sage Mart, you know, the other beverage shelf that I would see were all these amazing, quote unquote, like American, you know, new lifestyle brands that were sitting on shelves mm-hmm. um, that did have, I felt like, you know, these modern, um, uh, both front labels and ingredient labels um, that I just felt like, hey, the like, you know, Asian flavors, Asian cultures, Asian voices, like we deserve a brand um, that adequately represents us in today's American culture. And so it was really the combination of those two, I guess, insights, if you want to call it, or observations. Yeah, really sound observations. You would, you know, it would crystallize in, in your product. Let's go back to when you were actually doing R&D. Yep. I remember I interviewed one of the founders of Halo Top, and I remember they were making their first batches in a in a, in a Vitamix or in a KitchenAid. What were your first batches of, of Sanso all about? Like, were you using like a soda stream? Pretty similarly, um, mine, I went more of the, uh, I, so I never was actually a beer brewer at home, but looked up, you know, b- basically a beer brewing kit. So I essentially oh, cool. had CO2, my own CO2 tank, uh, five gallon corny keg. Um, so I started out going that, that going down that route yeah. as well as the route of sure, like a bench top, basically buying Canada dry seltzer, mm. uh, purees off of Amazon. Great brand. I love Canada dry. It has a great, um, High bubble, like high bubbles, yeah, high fizz. It, it, it hurts. It's like shardy in your mouth. It's <laughs> yeah. like, I love the the bubble count. It's it's high. It's very high. Yeah. Um, and then a kitchen scale and just, you know, uh, measuring cups that you just get off the street. <laughs> so you were like thinking about ratios because I think what's important to note, if you've never tried Sanzo, it's, it, it has a lot of fruit in it. It's fruit forward. 
to use my own observation, it's more spindrift than La Croix. It has more fruit in it. It's fruit forward, but it still is obviously very much a water, not a soda. That's correct. And that was intentional. Um, It's meant to give you refreshing hydration, um, not necessarily be, you know, like a meal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That can be too much when it, and let in, but what was the first breakthrough um, when you were starting your brand? I have a lot of founders on the show and we talk about moments in the narrative or in the timeline where it's like these like rubber hits the road moments. You're now currently in every single Whole Foods in the America and in several hundred targets. And I'm sure your trajectory is continually growing. We'll get to that. But was there a rubber hits the road moment where you actually were like, this is a real thing? Sure. I mean, there. I think there were two very early on that um, fortunately came early and right by beside each other yeah. that gave me a sense of that feeling. So, you know, the first one was, you know, within about a couple of months. So, uh, you know, I, I talked about the, the H-Mart story, but, um, you know, another formative story um, for me was uh, I remember sitting down at Momofuku Sambar um, in the East Village. Just, oh, RIP. I know. It's RIP. sad. It's I, sad. I, I'm appreciative of, of, of its reincarnation at, at South Street Seaport, but mm. the East Village location is uh, it's something special. Yeah. It was something special over there. Um, but I was sitting at the bar and, you know, for folks who you know, know this space, you know that um, you know, in, in, in that world, you're putting a lot of attention into what goes on the menu, but also, and especially at the time, um, Momofuku had a fantastic SOM program, sommelier program. And so like, you also knew that, um, what was going on, the, the beverage menu had as much intentionality as what was going on on the, on the mm-hmm. food menu. But when you got down to the knock to the non-alcoholic section, the only options there were Coke, Diet Coke, I think Dr. Pepper, and perhaps, and I, I want to say San Pellegrino. I'm not sure if it was San Pellegrino mm-hmm. or Perrier, but it was one of those two. I'm going to guess the San Pellegrino. Just thinking about the world's 50 best and just thinking about David Chang. Right. Probably, it's probably San, San Pellegrino, Pellegrino, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, one of my thoughts there was well, hey, if I can create a brand that fits this space that, you know, David has create, you know, created just such a, um, a brand around, then that could be an interesting wedge in. And fortunately, within about two months of launching, uh, and this is a story for another day, but was able to actually get our our Sanzo into the Momofuku board meeting um, that he was having with his investors, had one sip of specifically of our calamansi and was that's like- That's amazing. Did you like, go through Jordan, the beverage manager there? Yeah. Wow. That's that's deep tracks. Yes. I know, yeah. I know I, I know that history of Momo. I, I've, I've been a long-time fan and have had a lot of those people on the show, but Yeah. Exactly. We went through Jordan and it got, they got to, you know, that got to Dave and, um, you know, we were selling, you know, so the first thing was we were selling at, um, uh, Bumufuku Bong Bar, um, in Columbus Circle and it was turning, it was selling as well, if not better than the other beverages Mm -hmm. they had been selling there. And that was definitely a big one for me, just knowing how much I looked up to Dave and his, and his contributions, um, you know, being able to get that out of the gate was like, it's big. I mean, I, I think for folks who are, you know, who are not as familiar with our world, there are a lot of beverage, new beverage brands and new beverage products that are launched every year. Every um, minute. Right. And very few get really out of the gate. I mean, we talked to Ellie Truesdell about uh, this and, you know, she's a VC who works in food. Mm-hmm. And it's the most saturated category in all of food. It is. is beverage because it's relatively cheap to make. It's, it's you push units when you hit, you hit big when you hit. It's obviously a lot of reasons. I'm very much paraphrasing, mm-hmm. but um, to actually break through is impossible. Like probably statistically impossible. And I think fortunately I had enough ignorance or naivete to not know <laughs> all that in the beginning yeah. days. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, that, that, the, the, you know, getting into Momo early was was big. But then the other one for me was we also we also got taken in by this vegan fast casual chain, which is now no, which is now called Beatnik, but at the time was called by Chloe. And I always, I really did have this thesis around, you know, I really set the, the tone for Sanzo being a brand that bridged cultures, that while we would be, you know, hopefully embraced by the Asian American mm-hmm. audience, I felt represented even more than just, you know, representing um, Asian Americans, but was actually representative of broader American tastes. And for what basically once we started selling into by Chloe, um, which does not have your, you know, n- necessarily you wouldn't first think, oh, Asian influence. Um, and we were out selling mm-hmm. all of the other beverages that were sitting on their shelves. Um, I won't name the brands because I'm actually friends with, you know, two of the other sure. brands that were there. But we it's were, all friendly. It's all friendly. Kind of. I mean, to, to that point. I mean, we we have seltzer fatigue. We have mm-hmm. sparkling water fatigue. We have bubble fatigue. I mean, La Croix, obviously, out of the gate, hot. And then Spindrift came, and, like, everyone has their favorite, and every big box has their brand. How were you able to actually maintain momentum, get that big buy-in from Whole Foods, and then continue to grow in this market that's becoming more difficult to penetrate? There, I mean, there's multiple factors. I mean, first of which is the brand has to be able to sell on its own. Um, and fortunately, you know, within a couple of weeks, um, so one thing that's great about Whole Foods is you actually get weekly reporting directly mm. from Whole Foods about how well your product is selling. And so with us uh, with us not even doing anything, um, the product, especially our lychee, um, especially our lychee flavor, which is our number one seller. Is that right? I was going to ask. Yeah. And, and, number and, one. and that is now, again, like, and, and I'll get to the second part later, but it is already um, in the top 10 percentile of all um of all of all single serve beverages in in Whole Foods sold in Whole Foods nationally, so you know there's an element of well the brand and the by I guess by brand in this case I mean the packaging the taste mm-hmm. all of that have to be able to kind of organically hit with folks and so you know that that first part I credit our yes the Asian American community folks who had who were discovering us the Whole Foods shopper um, who was just very open to trying our product you know I'm I'm just very grateful for mm-hmm. for, for that. Um, but the other part too, and yeah, I think a lot of folks, even myself, I don't think I had a, a great uh, appreciation for it. But you know, our our team, including myself, uh, going out to stores and actively merchandising the product. Yeah. Um, you know, I was in, uh, yeah, I, I personally was in Whole Foods stores at four four or five a.m. Um, helping the the staff, you know, pack out product. And so what you can do is you, know, you kind of trade that for for some favors. Hey, we're doing you know, this work, um, you know, how about considering giving us either additional uh, or preferential uh, placement in your store? This is boots on the ground work. Is that something that you uh, just had to will yourself into those stores at 4am? Was it like, who's the gatekeeper to get you in? Because I think people listening to this, there's going to be young founders listening. Sure. And they're like, is it just hustle? Or do you have to actually have some connections to get in to actually do that work? Uh, you hustle to get the connections. Sure. Um, and mostly it's just showing up at the grocery store because um, a lot of times these folks will will happily take the help. I mean, you're effectively, I wouldn't say doing their job because they're quite overstretched, yeah. um, but you are helping them to do their job. And so it's it's basically partnering up with with the retailer, in this case, Whole Foods, and then your distributor um, yeah. and, 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 and coordinating that. But that is... I think, especially for folks, I, I, I have this conversation a lot, a, a lot of times with folks, especially who come from 
um, you know, have certain degrees, whether, you know, bachelor's or a master's or maybe mm-hmm. come from certain backgrounds. And this is a very blue collar business at the end of the day. Um, and it, you know, there are a lot of, there can be a lot of pretty numbers on an Excel, you know, or on a, on a spreadsheet, but ultimately how and when, how and where you make it happen mm. is in three, is in the three dimensional world. Yeah. And so what I often, you know, when I'm coaching or mentoring founders for the, for, who are going through this for the first time, I actually try to simplify it and demystify it and say, get off the screen, go out into a store. And that's how you learn the business that's by cool. talking to the folks on the ground. That's cool to hear. I mean, it makes sense perfectly with food. There's obviously products that sell themselves online. There's definitely direct to consumer models where you don't have to leave your desk and it's all done by Instagram or whatever big spends, et cetera. But when you're talking about food, we're also talking about water, which is like physical, heavy. Right. I mean, this is like heavy stuff. Right. This isn't a, po- a, a package of dry pasta sure. or, or a jar of something small, like a condiment. I mean, this is like water. You got to be in the store, you know, getting your, you know, rolling up your sleeves, right? And I have a question. So how do you get your product into the bodega that's in my office lobby at the end cap with a cooler? How do you get, how does that happen? Because it's there and I was talking, I mean, I've been chatting up, as I said, I mentioned I bought 75 of them because it's in my office. I love it and it helps me write. It like makes my fingers work. Now, how do you get that there, that big, that cool cooler sure. at the end of a aisle? Well, that is where I will say it, <laughs> it, it is very good to have a great team that knows how to do specifically that. Right. Um, and right. so what they will tip, so that, I mean, that, that, I wish that was me that could claim that, but I, I'll, I'll give the kudos to, um, you know, one of the folks who works here in New York City who um, would specifically be covering, um, the, you know, this territory. And essentially it's just, I mean, a lot of that is relationship development and also continuing to show them data. So, you know, if we're seeing in a, in a you know, we're right now in Midtown, right by Central Park, um, you know, one of the largest Whole Foods in the country um, is two blocks away mm-hmm. in, in Columbus Circle. And so what we can do is we can show, hey, we're, we're, we're selling super well at the Whole Foods in Columbus Circle down the street, we can bring that to the store, and then maybe, and that that can serve as the basis for um, a conversation. But that's also, but that's only part of it, right? That's that's the data part. A lot of it also comes down to having a fantastic, um, you know, sales team member who is enterprising enough to go into that store and, you know, put that put that put basically put that case study together um, and develop the relationship with that store manager. And, you know, I've met the folks who own the store. They're really nice and they're Korean Americans. Mm. And I know your storytelling is part of your Asian American, you know, brand and, and, and the flavors are Asian American or Asian, but you as a as a founder are. Now, it, does that help you in certain markets where you're actually saying this is an Asian American founded company? Oh, it absolutely can. I mean, it depends obviously on the store. And this is where, yeah. this is frankly where the fun of field sales comes yeah, in. Yeah, sure. You're going into stores and you're trying to read, you know, the, the one, 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 one store manager in one store can have a completely different profile. You might also get them on either a very good day or a very bad day. And it's up to, you know, the sales <laughs> team member to be able to, to read that. Um, you know, w- w- one of the fun things about our team in New York is, um, and he's been in the industry now for about, close to 20 years. Um, he is Kore- he is Korean American um, and he speaks English, Spanish, and Korean, yeah. which in the world of New York City bodegas and just running grocery stores, that's like the trifecta. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, uh, you know, just being able to empathize with folks regardless of the language they speak or where they come from. But obviously, if you can speak the language, gosh, you're helped out, you know, it's pretty well. <laughs> same with beer sales too. I know that that's a big, big part of the, the big distributors here use uh, Korean, Spanish, and yes. English. 
Um, I want to hear a little bit about how the product is made. Now, your flavors include pomelo, yuzu with ginger, calamansi, lychee, mango, and Asian pear. Then Sanity, a special edition. We'll talk about that. This is pro- These are products that are not grown or made in one part of the world. How do you pull from all around the globe with different seasons, and where is it actually being manufactured? Sure. I mean, one of the great things, you know, I actually literally was just speaking to someone um, right before coming in here who was asking about um, you know, the, the abundance of, of, the, of the fruit supply. And what I had to remind him was, you know, these fruits are known and beloved by an entire hemisphere representing 60% of the world's population. So I think when folks sometimes hear like, hey, and, and, and mm. it may be true, you know, folks here may have not have heard of, about the, um, you know, about some of these flavors, particularly I'll say maybe like a calamansi. Um, but for a broad spectrum of the world, you know, it is actually pretty well known. And if that's the case, then you, there's actually a decent supply chain around that. Um, and so, yeah, I'll say each fruit has a ha, like really does have its own specific story. I mean, the calamansi is an example is grown predominantly in Southeast Asia, so we work with suppliers in in Vietnam and in the mm-hmm. Philippines. Um, lychee is a great example. You kind of pointed out there that um, is grown both in Asia and also different parts of Africa, and so you know we're able to source that um, you know different times throughout the year as well. Um, so really, dep- I mean, it's hard to say one specific uh, story because each of the each of the fruits really has its own specific. Yeah. Uh, so spot. have you visited Origin for a lot of these products? As a founder, I would imagine you want to know where it's coming from. But also, that's almost an unrealistic question for especially a small, small-ish growing company. How much of it have you seen in person? So I'm actually taking my first trip to Asia post-COVID uh, in July, where I'll be doing exactly that. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, um, you know. You know, started the brand in the summer of 2019, and so basically from you know beginning of 2020 onward, just really haven't been able to get out there. So very very excited yeah. in the next couple of months to actually be able to go and visit some of our suppliers. Where are you going? Where, what kind of where, 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 where like what, what's on your list? So I'll specifically be uh, in Japan and in the Philippines. Oh right on. So right being on. able to visit some of our suppliers there. I love that. Um, let's transition to talking about just founding and running a small small and growing food business. Like, what was yesterday like? Like, were you stressed out at any point of yesterday? Yeah, I mean, I, I was in phone calls or meetings, with the exception of lunch, which I had to, which I have to, I now, I've, I've learned, I actually now have to book out on my calendar, yeah. otherwise it gets booked up. But literally between the hours of 8 a.m. and 6 p.m., pretty much straight with the exception of lunch. And... Look, it's, it can be a roller coaster. Yesterday, actually, my takeaway from being completely candid was, oh my gosh, like that was actually a pretty great day. Um, you know, like heard from all of our teams, sales, marketing, operations, and finance. And yeah, we're putting out some, um, you know, some fires in certain yeah. areas. But overall, it's like, oof, I feel like we have a really great game plan and things are going very much in the right direction. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, there's, I, I was traveling all over, um, you know, the West coast and, um, falling quite a bit behind. I mean, for, for good work, for, for, yeah. for, for good work, uh, things. But when I'm away from New York and away from our HQ, um, you know, there can be a lot of the general blocking and tackling that goes by the wayside. And yeah. admittedly, like the overhang of that to-do list can, and as a time's been like incredibly overwhelming and, um, you know, over consuming from a mental health perspective and it's mm-hmm. not, not great. So, um, but if your question is specifically about yesterday, 
<laughs> yesterday was a bright sunny day and i felt yeah. like our team was in a really great spot i love so it this is good. a good day what did you have for lunch then so um i live in the cobble hill neighborhood of brooklyn i lived there for 17 years oh. it's my spot and um I'll say kind of sad. It, it, in some ways, I guess it's a, it's good to have this celebration, but I'll admit it's kind of a sad um, story, the changing of the fabric of the neighborhood. Um, a sandwich shop that had been open for over 100 years called G. Esposito and Sons. Yeah. Um, and they make to what for me is like my, my favorite Italian sub, um, or I guess hero if you're from uh, New York, Long Island area. But um yesterday was their last day that's so i i lived at first in court for 17 oh, so years i was right there yeah that was my spot and it had the big pig in front big pig in front oh when we're done with here i'm <laughs> going to show you videos of yeah the fire department literally oh. uh taking the pig away <laughs> oh my gosh please and then and, and tell me what was that sandwich what was what was on it what, what are we talking about so it's your classic italian sub i mean you know prosciutto salami mortadella provolone um, and just like a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. The biggest thing that that sandwich shop showed me was about proportionality. Um, I find that to, it actually demonstrated to me that, oh, wow, in, in today's world, we're putting way too much on a sandwich. Uh, yeah. And it, it can create a feeling of, and, and even for some people that, who, who maybe don't like Italian subs, maybe they think it's too heavy, too salty, too what have you. Um, well, one, I, I don't hold that. I love it. I, I love a great Italian sub. Um, but then particularly this one, it just shows the importance of great proportions in a sandwich. Yeah. It, it showed restraint um, and also a focus on high quality ingredients. Sandra, that's well said. I think that we overstuff our sandwiches just for like meme culture, yeah. Instagram, et cetera. They need to look extra big. But like ratio between bread and condiments and toppings and, and meat and cheese is important. And oftentimes what those folks are doing, and again, I'm not here to you know uh, bash on anyone, but to get that level of quantity, you are making some decisions or making or taking some shortcuts on quality. And if you have really high quality ingredients and, and you know, put together in a great way, well, one, you just don't need as much of it. It actually nourishes you exactly to the degree that you need to. And it tastes better. <laughs> I just have to say, just observation, I'm standing pretty hard right here, but like when you have a heavily salted meal, be it like, you know, jajamen or mm. a sub or bolognese or something like a lot of umami and calamansi, sanzo, like rips, man. It is like, <laughs> it's sour. It balances. It's sour. It's acidic. This is not sweet. So I, yeah, again, I had to, I was a little bit stand there, but like, did you drink a, Thank you. Did you drink a Sanzo to wash uh, down? Specifically a Calamansi. Yeah. 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 It, it, it does pair very well with, with exactly your point, high salt, yeah. high umami uh, dishes. Yeah. It's a cool, I, I, I find myself doing that often as like a reset. That's why I like a lot of the NA bitter drinks, like the Phony Negroni, for example, ah. as like a, a, a reset into that. Let me ask you about, you know, getting into Whole Foods and now Target. Mm. What does that mean for you when you get into Whole Foods? Because I think whole, we like hold Whole Foods as a, as like, it's like a pillar right now of grocery and especially for specialty food. It's a standard bearer. I think that's the, and, and, and now especially, you know, we're in our second year of working with their national team, you know, our third year of working, you know, at the local level. And I mean, the biggest compliment that I can give to the entire Whole Foods team is that they care. And in a way that, um, you know, it, it that just separates them from a lot of other grocery retailers. Yeah. Um, they really care about the quality of the product that's hitting their shelves. Um, they 
they care about supplier diversity. They care about representation and just being, and, and the, the, that that is a lot of their brand. And so, yeah. um, you know, when I walk into Whole Foods stores, my big thing is when I walk down aisles, I'm constantly in amazement of the quality of brands, both product and packaging and, yeah. and, and so many other aspects. Mm. Um, it takes a lot to get right. We just talked about your conversation with Ellie and how many new beverage brands are launched every year. Same thing in, you know, new food, snacks and whatnot. Mm. And so it's kind of a sign of who in their earliest stages has gotten something really, really right. Um, and, and, that, and, and that to Whole Foods customer um, just has a natural pull to it. So like, it's very meaningful there. I think predominantly because, um, you know, a lot of the questions that we get, um, I'll say more from like investors is, Hey, is this just built for the Asian American audience? Is this just built for an Asian consumer? And it's a tough one because I'm like, I don't want to say no, because it is built for that Mm -hmm. consumer, but it's built for that consumer and others. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a really fair like point. And I think that, as you said, it is a very underserved audience and you definitely served it, but clearly it's a wider product. And let me ask you about target and where do you want to go? Like you're in a couple hundred targets, but like, where do you like, where do you go from yeah. here? And target, you know, the, the power there was, you know, look, like I love whole foods. They've been an amazing partner for us and continue to be. And it's where I now do, um, you know, my primary grocery shopping, but look also, Hey, growing up, um, you know, my family was very middle-class and at the time, you know, whole foods, you know, was, you know, was significantly, um, you know, premiumly priced compared to the rest mm-hmm. of the grocery stores. And yeah. So, Pre-Amazon, it was a real luxury to go there. Right. Absolutely. Right. And so, um, you know, when I look at Target, I mean, my family, like that's where we did a lot of our, a lot, you know, a lot of our shopping. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I, I built as much as Sanzo has resonated really well with the Whole Foods audience and we love and appreciate that. Um, you know, I built Sanzo so that I could, so that it could be a pantry or fridge staple for, for families across America. Super cool. So, so let me ask you, where do you end up then? I mean, is it, is it like Costco? Like what's the grail? Well, right now, I mean, one of the ones that we're, I guess, hitting or, you know, you talk about grails, like one of the ones that we're, that we're launching right now, um, we just launched every Vons and Safeway yeah. in the state in the states of California, California and Hawaii, that's, yep. and that's where. You know, so I'm I'm born and raised in the East Coast, but most of my extended family is you know, is California based, and I love being able to tell them, hey, you can go to your local grocery store and be able to get Sanzo. And that, yeah, Vons is like a real. It's it's where people shop. I mean, it it's, is. It's, it's it's the go to. It Absolutely. is. Absolutely. So you ask like what the grail is like. It's tough for me saying specific retailers because. Also, you know, what we're seeing now is, you know, even though I grew up in New Jersey and my family was in California, you know, I've also had the opportunity to visit grocery stores in Texas, in the Midwest, yeah. down South. And so for me, it's the grail is folks' local grocery store. Yeah, I totally agree. That's like a great way to put it because I think once you hit the mainstream and you're like found it like, you know, up in Vermont mm-hmm. at like the or Meyer in West Michigan. Right. You've hit it. Now, um, you're in all the Panda Express? Uh, most. Okay. So we won't be... We won't be specific, but you're in many Panda Express. Many, very, a, a very high percentage of It them. seems to me, just back to my observation about how it pairs well with salty and umami-rich foods, it seems to me that this would be an interesting pairing with, like, Popeyes, McDonald's, Ooh. Burger King. Like, it seems to me that when I'm at Taco Bell, which I do love, I would love to have a Calamansi Sanzo 
with my seven layer. I'm just saying, are just you, me. Are you right now drinking a Baja Blast? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you got like caffeinated like fountain beverages. It, but the fact that you're in Panda and you're in, you have scale with food service, it seems to me this is interesting. What do you think about this? I will say not one of the ones that you mentioned, but we are having conversations with, you know, another, like another big purveyor in this, Wendy's? in this space. Can't say which one. I know. I'm kidding. But definitely not Wendy's. I don't but, think you're, yeah. I know, right. But I do, but look, <laughs> from a parent perspective, definitely, definitely agree. <laughs> yeah. It just, it, it just seems a good fit, it would fit really well. Okay. I want to get into some more flavor stuff. Just just rank your top three favorite flavors. Oof. So our newest flavor we just launched is a pomelo. It's our take on a grapefruit. And yeah. before I even started the brand, um, LaCroix Pamplemousse and Spindrift Grapefruit were, you know, were my favorites. And, yeah. and I'd like to, I'd like to think, or for my own taste buds, uh, I, I think we've created something that I prefer to, to, to each of those flavors. So there's something different though about it. It has a, it's not, it's not bitter, but it has a little bit more character to it. We wanted to honor the pomeloiness of it. Um, sure. and so that was a big one for us was we want for folks who love, um, that tartness that comes with a grapefruit, um, we wanted, yeah, you know, we we wanted to give people a bit of uh, a bit of some home cook, some home some home cooking it. there. Um, so that's definitely number one right now. It's also nice to have a new, yeah, a new a new child, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and then honestly, I I'm I'm, a, I'm just a big citrus guy. So number two, it's really two A and two B right now, or calamansi and you and our yuzu with ginger. You know, it's funny. Uh, you know, calamansi was the first flavor that I came up with. Oh, really? That's and, cool. And like I'm that. I'm guilty. I don't know if it's a cultural thing, also with me being Filipino and that being a Filipino fruit. Um, but I can sometimes take it for granted, and then sometimes, and then I will undoubtedly. I mean, yesterday was a great example. I hadn't had a calamansi in a couple weeks. I cracked it open, and I was like shoot, I forgot how much I like this one. <laughs> wow. So you were all about pomelo for the first two. Like you were just doing pomelo straight through the last two weeks. Before. Yeah. You were forgetting about your other children, basically. I know. I know. I definitely, I definitely succumb to the shiny. The, young, the younger one gets most of the love <laughs> in infancy. Okay. How do you get Jeremy Lin on one of your cans? I felt like that was a, just a stroke of genius. Great marketing. Got a lot of buzz. I saw it in the market. Um, he's wearing like kind of a Knicks jersey. Are you a Knicks fan? I'm a Lakers fan, but good choice. Uh, but actually, during that entire time frame, and for anyone who's followed the story, I mean the 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 main highlight of of, of Linsanity was him scoring 38 points mm-hmm. um, at Madison Square Garden against the defending two time champion LA Lakers in peak yeah. peak Kobe era. And I have never, ever, and still have never seen a game in which I was at least even somewhat like lukewarm or in some ways like actively rooting against the Lakers. But go but that was different. That was a different It was feeling. a different February. That was like the best <laughs> February of my of of my of my recent memory. I loved that insanity. And it it was so impactful for for Asian Americans in so many ways. And so um you know our our partnership with him, you know, for folks who don't know, I mean he, he had a documentary called 38 at the Garden um that was released um on HBO Max um in October of 2022 and again got kind of lucky one of my investors um was the main financier of the film mm. and so for, Good. so yeah you know, sometimes nice to be able to yeah. nice to get one of those um they were debuting the film at Tribeca Film Festival last June and he's like hey I happen to have an extra ticket would you want to come 
I mean, of course, I'm. I I, yeah. I, I, I had to rearrange a bunch of a bunch of things, but yeah. of course, I was saying yes to that, and got had a chance to meet Jeremy. Um, he had actually tried us. Oh, cool. Uh, and was actually a fan of the brand in more ways than I had known. Um, but tried us originally at uh, Boba Guys. Yeah. Um, oh, shout out to Boba Guys. Shout out to Boba Guys. Yeah, definitely. And so, uh, you know, when we started talking, I mean, I, he actually didn't know that. So I'll say I had already come into that entire event having an idea that I would love to potentially partner with him, develop a flavor, do all that. He had no idea. So, but you know, I, I had to slow play that. But over the course of the next, you know, month or so, um, between him and his team, just started kind of putting down, you know, laying down breadcrumbs of, hey, we have an idea. Yeah. You have to help promote the Michael film. Michael Jordan gets on the Wheaties box, and Jeremy Lin gets on the Sunzo can. Exactly. It's like was really cool to and, see. And fortunately, they were they're. They were down for it. There's, there's it's cool. Yeah. It's a good flavor. Um, do you move beyond water? Right now, no. Right now, we think that there is such an opportunity um, to tell this story, to grow distribution, and build a healthy business, you know, doing what we're doing. I mean, if you look at a brand like Coca-Cola, uh, they could have just stayed selling just Coca-Cola and been Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we don't want to overcomplicate things. And we feel like there's, at least for at least for now, the short and medium term future, um, you know, we'd love for Sanzo to just be a part of as many folks' as gatherings as, um, as they'll allow us to. But you've thought about more than water. You're an entrepreneurial guy. <laughs> you're, you're sharp. You think about food deeply. I do. It would still be in beverage. Uh, I don't think that the – I don't think I think of the Sanzo brand as traversing into food categories necessarily. I think, frankly, we also have a lot of friends who are operating fantastic food companies, you know, Fly by Jing, Omsom, XCJ. All uh, guests in the show. I mean, the diaspora and color. There's a lot yeah, of yeah, diaspora uh, too. Emmy, like, there's just so many folks that are doing unbelievable things and owning their spaces. Um, you know, we think that there's a big enough prize in what we're doing right yeah, now. Yeah, I love that answer. I was hoping you would say that, and I was assuming you would say that because <laughs> obviously mixing your brand up in all the different categories is show a sign of weakness. Maybe that you, I would agree, your core is not working and pivoting or, to something yeah. or not large enough. Yeah, or not. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna be there. I mean, it's it's such an exciting brand. I mean, uh, let me close by asking you if you could have a restaurant name a menu item after you, what would it be, and what would be the style of the restaurant? So the style of the restaurant, for sure. And I just met Sam for the first time. Although I've been a, a, a patron of his restaurant. Um, several times i just got to meet sam who owns golden diner down in the lower east side and i especially growing up in new jersey gosh you give me a great greasy spoon temple diners joint unbelievable and so and i do love uh, for me like i just absolutely love that concept of just approachable food in an approachable way but also gives you quality um you know that chinatown egg sando um his chicken wings they're just like there's just such high quality. So um I'm not I'm almost I'm not even sure if there's a specific item. It's more of like a vibe that I would yeah, that I would want to evoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um it would be in the world of a golden diner, even a world like um there's a there is a new spot on uh, on Smith Street in um in Cobble Hill called Bobby's Italian beef, which is I don't think the I think the guy now knows it because everyone has told it to him. But if anyone here has watched the bear, yeah, um, it is it is the, it is the beef, yeah. Um, and so like I just love those kinds of environments because ultimately, you know, I, I, I look like I'll go 
and sit down for a one, two, three Michelin star restaurant. And I think really, really, I, yeah, I will enjoy it. I will appreciate it. I, 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 I've taken, um, I've tried to make it a point to like appreciate the, the craft of, 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 of cooking. Um, but also at the end of the day, folks who can democratize great food is just where my heart lies. Yeah, definitely. So what do you think about the menu item? Let's go there. What's the menu? What's the Sandra Rocco menu item? It would be probably if 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 Sam at Golden Diner is willing to yeah. make an amazing chicken parm. That's it. I'll probably go that chicken route. Chicken parm, I love that. <laughs> Sandra Rocco, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. The Taste Podcast is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.